So we are beginning a brand new series today, and it is entitled To My Friend Who Left the Faith. And in any time that we begin a new series, I am generally really, really excited to begin a new series. By the time we get to week three or four, I may not always be as excited for that series, but whenever we begin a new series, I am always really excited. But, but I am like really, really, really excited for this series. Um, it is inspired by a book by a guy by the name of Wade Bearden, and, and in this book called To My Friend Who, Who Left the Faith, um, Wade just shares a series of letters that, that he wrote to a friend of his who he grew up in church with who, who one day decided to leave the faith. But the reason that I, I'm excited about, about this series is because I know and I, I truly believe that this series is going to be really, really personal for some of you. And I hope any time that we do a series here that it's, that, that, that it's helpful, that it's beneficial, that maybe it, it, it's challenging. And I believe that this series will be all of those things, but I also believe that this series will be very, very personal. And here's why I think it will be personal. Because we all know somebody. We all know somebody who at one point was following Jesus, who due to any number of reasons has decided to stop following Jesus. Perhaps they had adult questions and and all that they received in return were Sunday school answers. Perhaps they, they, they struggled to see how a good God who was an all-powerful God could truly exist and there still be so much evil in the world. Maybe they experienced some kind of pain that, that led them to believe that if there is a God, that that God is, is, is distant or, or apathetic or... Or maybe they just encountered one too many people who claimed the name of Jesus but lived absolutely nothing like him. Or maybe it's not that you know somebody with those questions or those concerns, but maybe you are the person with those questions or concerns. Maybe you're here today, but there's just something that has kept you from fully submitting and following Jesus, it, it, it's like you have one foot in and, 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 and one foot out or, or half a foot in and, and the rest of you out. But, but whether these questions are coming from you or whether these questions are coming from somebody that you know and love, our hope over the course of this series is that it will be a, 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 a beneficial time for all of us as each of us are able to examine the state of our faith today. But today, as we kick off this series, and, and before we start looking for the rest of the series, kind of outward, at, at what are some of these reasons that, 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 that you know, studies and different things are, are showing that people are, are leaving the faith, before we look outwards, I feel like it's important for especially those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, and doubly especially for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus and, and would say that we've been following Jesus for a long time, I think that it's really, really important that we look inward. That, 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 that we look at how do we respond when we are faced with somebody who is questioning their faith? How do we respond whenever we are faced with somebody who has doubts in their faith? I want to share a, a, a picture with you here. Maybe some of you have, have seen this before. It's, it's Rembrandt's painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son. 
And this was done in, in the mid to late 17th century. And whenever you look at this picture, you immediately can see a young man who is kneeling before his father. And maybe you've been around the church for a while in your life and you remember this story, the son who, who, aban- who, who abandoned his family and spent his full inheritance on what is called wild living. He, he now returns home and he's broken, he's destitute, he's desperate, he's ashamed, he's embarrassed. He's a shell of, him form, of his former self Yet somehow he's still hopeful. In the painting, you can only see the side of the prodigal's face, but, but even that little bit, you can just see almost like a sense of calm and a sense of relief as, as you see someone who is, who is grateful for being received in a way that he knows he does not deserve to be received. His clothes are like rags. They're dirty and they're frayed. His sandals are falling apart. But when you look at this son, and whenever you look at the father, there, there seems to be a lack of detail there. And from what I understand, I am far from an art critic, but from what I understand, that is, that is very, very intentional. That, that, that was the point. It's believed that Rembrandt wanted us to, to not look at the face of the father or the face of the son, but instead Rembrandt wanted us to look at the, the hands of the father that are resting on his son's shoulders gently pulling him in, because of all the items in the painting, the hands are the most lifelike. The father who, in this story, we we know is a stand-in for God, provides this picture of restoration. His son, who is lost, has now been found. And as the story would continue, eventually the son would move from this place, and the father would give him new clothes and new sandals, a ring for his finger, and provide for him a lavish feast. But more importantly, the son would receive his father again. And in spite of it all, in spite of his, his, his mistakes, his, his regret, his failure, in spite of his, his sin, the son is forgiven. But then whenever you look to the right side of the painting, you see another figure who is standing there. You see the older brother, the brother who chose to remain by his father's side, even whenever his younger brother ran away with half of the inheritance. And while the father bends over to receive his son, the older brother stands tall, off to the side, his hands clasped, looking down on his brother. His clothes are majestic, regal even, and, but he looks on his brother with judgment while his brother's there on his knees. I want to leave this up here for just another second or two, but I want to ask you this question. Who in this picture do you most identify with? Who in this picture do you most identify with? Or how about this one? What is your posture? Those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, what is your posture? What is my posture? What is the posture of Leclerc Christian Church towards those who have left the faith? You go to Luke chapter 15 where this story is found. And in this chapter, 
It starts by telling us that, that some of Jesus' primary critics, and all throughout Jesus' ministry, his critics were always the religious people. It was the Pharisees, it was the teachers of the law, and, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they kind of gathered together, and they cannot understand for the life of them why Jesus is hanging out with those kinds of people. Why is Jesus hanging out with, with those kinds of sinners? Why is he befriending them? Why is he eating with them? Why is he associating with them? Why is he he's seeking them? And Jesus, knowing what it is that was going through the Pharisees and the teachers of the law mind, knowing what was going through the religious leaders mind, like the people that, the, 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 those who that people went to for, for religious guidance, what was going through their mind, Jesus responds by telling stories. Three stories, in fact. And, and each story makes the exact same point and makes the point crystal clear. And here's the point. God celebrates most, well, what God celebrates most are restored relationships. What God celebrates most are restored relationships and when the lost are found. Now, I know that we're not like a big amen kind of church. But if there's ever a time to like amen, this is one of those times. What God celebrates most are restored relationships and when the lost are found. Thank you to the six of you. I'll take it. And so Jesus, he tells a story about a lost sheep. He tells a story about a lost coin. But the most famous story is the last story he tells, the story about a, a lost son, this, the, the, this youngest son who went to his father and asked for his, his full inheritance. And, and in such a disrespectful ask, I mean, it's, it was essentially as though the, the, the son went to his father and, and, and said, you know what, Dad, I know that whenever you're dead and you're gone, I'm going to get a lot from you, and, and, but, but, but I just don't want to wait anymore. And so, Dad, can we go ahead and just act like you're dead and you're gone now? So that way I can get what is ultimately coming to me in the future? I think I'll enjoy it more now, Dad, if you can just go ahead and do this for me. Now, I don't know about you, parents, but I don't know how I would respond if my kids came to me and, and made such a request. I'm pretty sure my first response would be this. You got nothing coming, okay? Like, <laughs> that's response number one. All my money is tied up in when I'm dead. Like, the, that's where my money lies. So you got nothing coming right now. But then I think that the, the second response would, would kind of just be like, what? are you kidding me? But for whatever reason, the father decides to, to give the son what he was asking for, and the son runs off, off and he wastes it all in what is called wild living, and Jesus doesn't describe for us what wild living is, but I'll just go ahead and say this. Let your mind kind of run wild for about three seconds on what you believe wild living is, and you will probably be correct. The younger son, he's, he's doing all he can to find love and purpose and meaning away from his father. But eventually, everything runs out. Everything is gone. And whenever that happens, he comes to his senses and realizes that he made a massive mistake. We don't know how long. Jesus doesn't tell us how long the youngest son was gone. He doesn't go into detail on all the things that he did, but he does tell us that whenever he snaps out of this destructive thinking, he takes the risk of returning home, and in response, he is received by his father. 
And his father, he brings his servants near to him and he tells them to go and to prepare because they have a party that they have to throw. Because his son who was dead is now alive. His son who was lost has now been found. But here's the thing about this story. And I, I've preached through this story many, many times. But, and, and, and so often whenever I preach through this story, I normally stop after the youngest son comes home. But the thing about this story is, is that the youngest son coming home is not the main point that Jesus was making. Instead, the main point of this story is actually the conversation that takes place between, Jesus, between the father and the older son after the son, the youngest son, has come home. It's found in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 25. Jesus says that meanwhile, the older son, he was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing for the party had already begun. And so he called one of the servants in, and he asked him, what's, what's going on? And, and the servant replied, well, your, your brother has come home and your, your father has, asked, has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. What is your posture? What is your posture whenever you encounter somebody who, who has left the faith? Verse 28, the older brother, he became angry and he refused to go in. I'm going to my room and you're not going to make me come out. So his father went out and, and pleaded with him. He begged him. But the older son answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed a single one of your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not when my brother, but when this son of yours comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? You kidding me? My, fun, my, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours, not just this son of mine, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Church, I don't want you to miss this. This story is not about one lost son. This story is about two lost sons. The younger son's lostness is easy to see, but the, but, but the root of, 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 of all sin, the root of all lostness comes back to pride. You can see that all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It, it's, it's rooted in pride. Sin is rooted in pride. Sin is rooted in this, this, this thought and this desire that I'm going to be my own savior and I'm going to be my own Lord, sin is rooted in, in this belief that we know better than God, that we are wiser than God, that, that we know what's best for us better than God knows what's best for us. And then the younger brother, you can clearly see this. He, he, he believes that he's going to go and he's going to be his own savior. He's going to determine on his own what is right and what is wrong. He doesn't need anybody to tell him that. He doesn't need faith to do that. He says, I'm going to do it all on my own. But then when he failed... And whenever he was in the pig pit, you know, longing for the slop that they were eating, it was in that moment that, that then he sees his need. 
for his father. The older brother's lostness is a little bit less obvious because it's hidden in obedience. The older brother hides his, his, his obedience, hides his desire to be his own Lord and his own Savior. And the older brother is, is using his goodness as a weapon against the Father. You go back to the very beginning of Luke chapter 15. Who was this story for? Who was this story directed to? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the the teachers of the law, and those who were complaining about Jesus hanging out with those kinds of people, like Jesus hanging out with the younger brother kinds of people, and they just don't understand why. And so Jesus, it's almost as if he takes this mirror with a picture of the older brother on it, and he looks to the Pharisees and he says, this is who you are. And church... There are probably some of us in this room today that Jesus is holding up a mirror with the picture of the older brother and he's looking you square in your eye and he is saying, this is who you are. The older brother was lost just like the Pharisees were lost, just like the younger brother who ran off was once Lost. Henry Nguyen, he, now and he, he puts it like this. And not only did the younger son who, who left home get lost, but the one who stayed home also became a lost man. Because on the outside, the thing that so many of us look at to, to be the defining characteristic, on the outside, he did all the things a good son was supposed to do. But on the inside, he had wandered away from his father. Anytime you are not aligned with the heart of the father, or you are not aligned with the desires of the Father. Anytime you find yourself in that place, you are lost. Let me put it like this. You can be with God and be far from God at the exact same time. You can appear to be close, but truly be far. I think one of the most eye-opening texts in the entire New Testament comes in Matthew chapter 7, it's towards the end of, of Jesus' longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And, 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 and at, towards the end of this message, he, he says this. Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, maybe you've heard this before, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons? And in your name did we not perform many miracles? Then Jesus says that I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This group of really, really religious people, they show up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, don't you remember all the things that we've done for you? Like, don't you care? Don't you have a kudos? Don't you have a pat on my back or something? Don't you remember all the things that we have done in your name? This group of very religious people who are very busy religious people who are doing all kinds of things in the name of Jesus. They were in church. They were on the bandwagon. They had the right beliefs, but still they were lost. How? Because it's one thing to know about Jesus. It's one thing to believe in Jesus. But it's something completely different to know his heart and be aligned with it. 
And the older brother at this point, I don't know if at some point, you know, he was truly, truly near to his father, but at this point he doesn't know his father's heart. And so he looks at the way that his father has responded to his younger brother and it just doesn't make sense. He cannot understand why the father is acting in this way. The, the older brother, he is with the father, but he is far from the father. You could possibly even say that the older brother is in, a, is in a more lost place than the younger brother. That he's in a more dangerous position than the younger brother. Because in his pride, in his very high view of himself, he has been blinded by his own goodness. And spiritual blindness is such a dangerous, dangerous place to be. The older brother, he can't even remember the last time that he was convicted by the Holy Spirit he can't even remember the last time he was convicted of any kind of wrongdoing. Can you? Can you remember the last time that, that you were living in, in, one, in, in, in one way and you realized that that did not align with the heart of God and, and you decided that it was time to change? Like, can, can you remember the last time that that happened, that, that it changed the way that you thought, that it changed the way... That, it, that, that, that you viewed the world? You go and you look at, at this brother, and, and, and when was the last time that, that you actually felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? When was the last time that you actually responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? The older brother has convinced himself that because of his proximity to the Father, that he knew the Father. Because he knew all of the answers that he knew the Father. Because he could recite all the texts that he knew the Father, but he did not know the Father's heart. And it's clear that the older brother, he feels superior to his younger brother, which leads him to say to his father, you owe me. If you're giving him that, you owe me. He's using his past obedience as a way to try and control the Father. But here's the problem. When your obedience becomes a way for you to get leverage over others and God himself, you end up a lot like the older brother, completely lost and alienated. And you find yourself in a place where you are unable to celebrate what it is that God celebrates most. Restored relationships and the lost being found. And so for the next few minutes, what I want to do is I want to kind of Try and look at what are some ways that you can possibly know that you are the older brother? What are some ways that you can possibly know that you are on a path to becoming the older brother? The first one would be this. If you are no longer convicted by the Holy Spirit or the Word of God, you're on the path to becoming the older brother. If you're no longer convicted by the Holy Spirit or the Word of God, you are on the path to becoming the older brother. If, if you are no longer challenged or you are bored by God or you have become numb to His presence, you are on the path to becoming the older brother. If the sacrifice of Jesus no longer does anything for you, if it no longer moves you, if it's just like, yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's good, I'm happy that He did that, but if it doesn't move you and fill you with gratitude, you, I, we are on the path to becoming the older brother. If you are in a place where you are constantly comparing yourself to others, you're on a path to becoming the older brother because whenever you look at your comparison, it only goes to surface level. And whenever you compare yourself to others, it, it leads to anger and resentment for what is or what is not happening to you or for you. 
when you believe that God owes you because of your goodness and not that your goodness is a response to what God has already done for you. You're on a path to becoming the older brother. When you obey, which is good, it's good to obey, but whenever you obey, but then you resent it, you're not happy about it, you whine about it, you grumble about it, you're on a path to becoming the older brother. Whenever, whenever you're somebody who thinks that, that you are saved by your own goodness, because you're great at following the rules on the surface, but, but, but below the surface, there's no delight and there's no joy. You're on a path to becoming the older brother. I've heard it said that they may not be lawless in their hearts, but they are loveless in their behavior. It's a warning sign. When you have a judgmental attitude towards others, and because you, you notice that the, the older brother, he references his younger brother, not at his brother, just as a rebuke to his father by saying, this son of yours, where does this come from? It comes from this, this great sense of pride, this, this great sense of, of superiority, and, but it also comes with this great, great amount of lack of confidence. You see, one of the things that, that, that prideful people are really, really good at doing, and I know we all have a little bit of this in us, but, but prideful people are really, really good at putting out a perception that they are confident. But whenever you get down just a layer or two, you will see that the most prideful people are the most insecure people that you will ever meet. And that's what you have here. But whenever, when, when you're the older brother, you're, you're never sure about where you stand with God. You're always nervous. You're insecure. But, but you are very sure about where other people, you know, about other people and where they stand with God. Why? Because you believe that you are saved by your own goodness, and so it becomes very, very easy. Whenever somebody else doesn't line up to your level of goodness, then that tells you where they line up with God. But listen, if you know that you are a sinner who has been saved by grace, that it is Jesus who has done the work and not yourself, then you can look within yourself and have the freedom to identify the areas of your life that do not line up with the life that Jesus desires for you to live. You can see them and you don't have to be scared of them, but you can still have confidence in your relationship with Jesus because you know that it is Jesus who has done the work and not you. The older brother, he's always judging, but the one who knows the father's heart should be the least judgmental person in the world. Because we have received such amazing grace, it should be our joy and our honor and our pleasure and our aim to return such grace in return. Besides, what God celebrates most are relationships restored and the lost being found. And so those of us who call ourselves Christians, if you don't call yourself a Christian, you can kind of just sit this one out for a little bit. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, we have some pondering to do. And those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, we have some serious pondering to do. Because the longer you follow Jesus, the easier it is to, to, to slip into older brother behavior. It's easy to look at our obedience and doing all the right things, which is good, but still becoming disconnected from the Father's heart. 
Because when it all comes down to is this, is lavish love and complete forgiveness are hard to understand for those who do not see a need for lavish love and complete forgiveness. The older brother can't understand why his brother gets a party. But the older brother is missing the entire point. And so, so often, many of us miss the entire point too. Because this party is not the younger brother's party. This is the father's party. The father is the one who is celebrating. It is his party. He's just invited us all in. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you for today and I thank you for, the, for, for your, your, your word and for the hope that we have in you. I thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your kindness, for the peace that we can have. And Father, I pray for those of us in here today who have been following you for quite some time and And the scariest thing for, for me is if any of us are in here and we're living that older brother world the, without a complete act of God and the Holy Spirit convicting us to our very, very core, we will never admit that we are the older brother. And so, Father, will you please give us a shred of humility Will you please melt away our heart of stone? Will you please help us to, to truly identify who we are and what our posture is? Jesus, we love you and we need you. We cannot do this without you. In your name I pray.